Okay. Um, so, just a reminder, we're looking at the book Natural Evangelism by Matthew Morine, published by Gospel Advocate. We're teaching our way, studying our way through that book and looking at some biblical principles for becoming better evangelists in our everyday lives. Before we get started on the lesson today, um, we're going to look at some of the stuff from last week, and I'm not necessarily going to hold your feet to the fire on these things, but I do want you to, if you feel comfortable, to share a little bit about what you may have done. So last week's action evangelism, which is a fancy word for homework, um, was to do the following, to make a list of friends or family that are non-Christians, to write a plan to connect with them in order to share your faith. And remember I said didn't necessarily have to write it out. And the last part was to put a date by it to hold yourself accountable. And that's probably the scariest part because once you do that, you actually feel like you got to do something. Um, but I hope we did that. Even if you didn't put a date by it, even if you didn't do what you intended to, um, who is somebody in your life that you think you'd have a good chance or be able to reach out to to talk about some of these things. Marvin? My neighbor. Okay. Yeah, that's a great opportunity. Kind of, I mean, when he's calling you over to talk, you know, that's pretty uh, hard to say no to that. So that's great. And I've heard stories about how it used to be when neighbors were actually neighbors to each other. You know, nowadays, I don't know. I don't just in my own life. I don't know if I've ever known the people who live next to me. I really haven't, um, with an exception of the house we're in now just because family, friends, and stuff. But that's a great opportunity that sometimes, you know, we don't think about. Um, and even if, you know, you moved in, they didn't bring you a pie, maybe you can overlook that, forgive them, and reach out to them anyway. All right, somebody, I saw somebody else with their hand up. Somebody else have somebody? Yes, sir. Yeah, this wasn't, wasn't here. This was back at home. Okay. Our next-door neighbor, we were doing Bible lessons with her. Mm. Yeah. So it came to baptism. Mm. And she is terrified of putting her head under the water. Oh, wow. And after that, really? No more. Wow. You know, wow. I guess she had her bags uh, on, a, on a boat or something. And she is terrified of water. Really? Wow. 
you tell her, just be real quick. Just be real quick. Wow. Really? Man, anybody else have an experience like that with somebody? You had experience like that? experience almost drowning or something, you know, it might be pretty scary. But wow, I've never heard of that. Hmm. Anybody else have anything? Anybody they can think of? Even if you didn't reach out to them, somebody you know for sure you want to start talking to. Something that we might all pray about was that uh, the two ladies that came Sunday mm-hmm. morning Definitely. So two ladies came forward Sunday afternoon. Jim had a study with them. One of them today. Jim and Janie did, right? Monday. Monday. And there's a study scheduled for next Wednesday. So definitely keep that, uh, keep that in your prayers. All right, so it's hard to gauge the room. I don't know if anybody actually did this except for a couple of people. But I want to challenge us again um, to actually do this. We're going to bring this up next week. And it doesn't have to be... You know, you don't have to text them the plan of salvation. The date to hold us accountable is just to reach out to them. It's not to, you know, we're going to have a Bible study by next Monday. Or I'm going to shave my head. Like, we're not doing anything like that. Okay, we're just trying to get in the habit of reaching out to people. We know we're not Christians. We already have a rapport with them. That's a place that is uh, most likely in our life a field that's white for harvest and that we should go into and, and be working on. And if you think, well, I don't have any friends or family members who aren't Christians, um, you, you got to have somebody, a waitress, clerk, somebody on Facebook. I'm sure you got a second cousin, twice removed, somewhere, who might remember you from Thanksgiving or something. But um, So let's do this. Let's keep this in mind. We're going to talk about this next week. All right, real quick, we're going to do a quiz. Um, all together, what's the first step in the plan of salvation? Here, here. here all right. Second step? Leave. All right, less on, less confident on that one. What's the third one? <laughs> Repent. There we go. In this class, what's the fourth one? Yes. There you go. And for this class, the last one. Yes. Be baptized. Great. All right, now raise your hand for the verses. Um, and remember, I will take one that's not up there, but we have a specific set for the class. Yes, sir. Romans 10, 17 for here. Very good. Believe. We got an easy one for believe. Marvin, I think you did it last week, so I'm going to let somebody else get a chance. I appreciate the zeal, though. John 3, 
3.16. John 3.16. Okay, I appreciate that. Repent. Do we have one for repent? Yes, ma'am. Acts 3.19. Very good. All right, confess. Let's try to get somebody who hasn't gone yet. Yes, ma'am. Romans 10, 10. Very good. Really, Romans 10, 9, and 10. Um, Romans 10, 10. Very good. All right, be baptized. Be baptized. A lot of murmuring. Acts 2, 38. I think a couple of us knew it. Of course, Mark 16, 16. 1 Peter 3, 21. A lot to go there. Um, but we're going to have a quiz on this every week. So at the very least, we can say... We know the plan of salvation. Okay. And where to go? All right. Very good. So um, this week we're going to talk about lesson four in entering the field, create spiritual friendships, not a war. Okay. So this idea of creating spiritual friendships, not a war. And this idea of uh, trying to get people's trust, trying to befriend people, and not necessarily being uh, antagonistic toward them, though there is a time for rebuke, there's a time for heated discussion. Uh, you know, oftentimes we don't want to start it out that way. So let's start with this question. What makes a friend a friend? What makes somebody your friend? What do you think? You enjoy being around them? Definitely, that's part of it. Okay, so you can talk about them about things you normally wouldn't discuss about other people. I think that is a big part of it. I think there's a reason why you can do that. I think there's an underlying thing that makes that possible. Maybe you guys... Trust. Trust, right? And he asks a great question in the book. He says, what's the difference between a friend and somebody you like? Big part of it's trust. And you might spend more time with that person, have more conversations with that person because you trust them. You know, there's people I like in my life, in the world. I wouldn't necessarily know if I would describe them as a friend. But I've got no issues with them. They have no issues with me. We could go get a cup of coffee or something, it wouldn't be a problem. We're not necessarily friends, right? So this idea of trust, this idea of um, being open with one another, I think that's a big part of this, and that's what we're going to try to talk about for a little bit here. Okay, so, and he also talks about this idea of relationships and events. And this is something that kind of over the last couple of years has been more and more of a debate or discussion I don't think relationships or events are pitted against each other, but traditionally, how have we as the church usually done evangelism? I see you thinking, man. Just go ahead. Go ahead. Okay, a gospel meeting. I remember they used to have, way before my time, uh, Sam Hester, Fried Hardeman, was talking to me about him. You used to have, I forgot the word for him, but I guess he's like tent meetings, these revival meetings. And it wouldn't be three days or a week, whatever. It would stop when people stopped responding. Imagine that. So you're a preacher, you get called up, hey, can you do meeting for us? Sure. How long? So people stopped coming forward. And they'd have months long meetings where people would come forward every time. Um, I think if we did that now, a lot of times gospel meetings would just be one night, right? And the guy would just go back home. A lot of times we don't necessarily have people coming forward. Do um, you have something? No. I just, I mean, I think the times have changed. Where, yeah. Where people were seeking after truth 
Yeah. Right. Yeah, part of that definitely is the culture has shifted some. Um, I've been told, I don't know this for sure, and you guys know me, I love VBS, but I was told that VBS kind of started as an evangelistic effort to try to get people from the community to, to come in and to hear about the gospel and kids who might not otherwise be exposed to the Word of God, you know. Um, and I think in some ways we've, we've gotten away from that a little bit. It's more about the people here, and there's nothing wrong with that. Um, but there definitely has been a shift in the culture and the way people receive things. Um, and this question is on there, but I think we've already answered Are these methods as effective as they once were? And we might could debate about that. And I'm not saying they're not effective at all. I think gospel meetings should continue. Door knocking campaigns should continue. But I think that they're most effective when we're doing both. And I know uh, we have Brother Steve from World Bible School today. He's going to talk uh, to us about later even more evangelistic ways or ways we can get plugged into evangelism. Um, and it's through these kinds of one-on-one -on -one type of things, studying with people, reaching out to them, befriending them, etc. Um, so there definitely is a case to be made for uh, relationships, friendships, etc., leading to uh, bringing people to Christ. So turn your Bibles to Acts 16, Acts 16, verses 25 through 34. And we're going to look at some lessons from this, some insights, if you will. Acts 16. Um, did I say 24 on there? Yeah, 25 through 34, sorry. Acts 16, 25 through 34. All right. Um, so, a little bit of context, if you remember, Paul and Silas are in Philippi, they're in jail in this text. Uh, how did Paul get to Philippi? Anybody remember? Other than a boat or walking. Yeah, why did he get there? How, why, yeah, why, is it, why was he there? We talked about it a couple weeks ago. We have got a song about it that we sing sometimes. Yes. Okay, so remember he had his dream, the Macedonian cause, we call it. Uh, so he and his co-workers go to Macedonia. They go to Philippi. Remember we talked about the conversion of Lydia. She's the first convert in Philippi. But after that, there's a slave girl who's possessed with a spirit, verses 16 and following. They uh, get that spirit out of her. The owner of the slave, she was making him a lot of money. Gets upset, makes a complaint. Paul and Silas are arrested. We pick up in verse 25. And about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And they were beat as well. Just throw that in there. Beaten, arrested. Uh, singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake. So that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were open. And everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for the lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before 
Paul and Silas. So the first insight we're going to get from this is good conduct opens doors. And there is a little bit of a pun there with the jail cells opening, but that was unintentional. Good conduct opens doors. So look at what's going on here. Um, what does it say about Paul and Silas that they were really unjustly arrested? Later on in this chapter, when they find out, when the officials find out that they're both Roman citizens, it says that they're scared because they realize they did something that they weren't supposed to do. So they're arrested, they're beaten, they're thrown in a jail cell. And what is their response to this? What does the text say? Yeah, they're praying and singing, right? So they're, they're really worshiping God, they're praising God, singing these praises, praying. And it says that the prisoners were listening to them. Okay, so think about the influence that would have had if you're in prison. I don't know why these people are in prison, but, you know, more than just Paul and Silas are there. And you're there, and these guys come in, and they're singing hymns, they're praying, and you're listening to that. I'm sure it shifted the mood in the prison a little bit. A little bit of a positive influence. Um, and I have there that the jailer listened to Paul and Silas sing, but that's not true. He was asleep. As it says there in verse number 27, he awoke after everything uh, went down. But it wasn't just the singing and the praying. You see, Paul and Silas were consistent with this behavior. Think about it. You're in prison unjustly. And the door slams open. The handcuffs fall off. What are you going to do? Oh, I'd run out of there. Absolutely. I would run out of there. Absolutely. Um, Jim, we've been to jail several times. I'd imagine. <laughs> For ministry purposes, okay? Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. We've visited the jail several times. I know those guys. If they just, you know, if the wall fell over and there, they would be out of it. There would be no doubt about it. Um, but Paul and Silas, they stay. And it's not just that. It's not just, okay, they were singing and praying to God. It's not just, okay, they stay behind when they could escape. But there's a third element to this too. This pagan Roman jailer who never did you any good, maybe he's the guy who beat them, is about to kill himself because he knows the penalty as a Roman jailer for letting his prisoners escape. And you intervene to save his life. So you have multiple things here done by Paul and Silas that show really where their priorities are. You know, they're not concerned about themselves. They're here to try to bring as many people to Jesus as possible. And if that means being imprisoned falsely or unjustly, okay. If that means staying behind when you could run, okay. If that means helping somebody who really, from the worldly perspective, you have no reason to help. They say, so be it. That's what we'll do. And notice the response of this man after this happens. So he knows, man, I, could be, I should be dead. He knows his job. He failed. He was asleep. The people got out, he thinks. He stopped from killing himself. And notice what he does there on verse 29. It's pretty interesting. The jailer called for the lights and rushed in, trembling with fear. He fell down before Paul and Silas. He just threw himself at their feet. Uh, and you have to say, this was because of the way they acted. Excuse me. And he wasn't necessarily aware, it seems like, because he was sleeping, of their praying and their singing. But there was, I mean, I'm sure they affected the mood of the prison. The other people could have ran. They didn't. They all stayed there to see what was going to happen next. Maybe some of them, you know, got the idea that, okay, here comes these men praying and singing. All of a sudden, the jail busts apart. 
huh, wonder if there's some kind of correlation there, right? Um, so you can see that their good conduct really, really led to them having this opportunity to evangelize. If they didn't step in and try to help somebody, which really, from a worldly perspective, they didn't really have to help. If they didn't stay behind um, when they had the opportunity to run away, they didn't have that positive attitude, that Christ-likeness, they wouldn't have had that opportunity to evangelize. Uh, so, we, so we see there, minor point D, under point A, Christ-likeness leads to opportunities to evangelize. And whether that, and I know it seems far-fetched, I hope we're never in prison unjustly, and if we were, you know, the walls wouldn't um, just burst and bonds fall off except for some providential means, perhaps. Um, so this is a little bit removed from our context, maybe, but I think hopefully we can see how if we behave the way Jesus would have us to behave, it's going to lead to people wanting to know more. It's going to lead to people maybe wanting to reciprocate that. It's going to lead to people, at the very least, it's going to lead to people ask questions. Even if, and I would say even maybe especially if, they mistreat us. Um, and I wonder if that jailer, I know this is uh, just conjecture, but I wonder if that jailer thought about how really they had no reason to stop him from doing what he was about to do and how that may have made an impact. And I remember when I wasn't a Christian how if I would say something ugly, say something ugly to Lori or even at some other kids at school who were Christians would say something ugly to them. And then their response to me was kind. It makes you think. I mean, unless you really are a hurt individual, it's hard to be ugly to somebody so much who's never ugly back and to not think twice about that. Right? It makes you think. So this jailer throws himself at their feet um, and they move the conversation to a spiritual place. Look at verses 30 through 31. Then he brought them out, so the jailer brings Paul and Silas out, and he says to them, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. Um, and there is some debate over whether the jailer there in verse 30 was referring to physical salvation or spiritual salvation. Sometimes the word that refers to spiritual salvation is used to refer to physical salvation or physical healing. And some people have said, some commenters and other people have said, you know, this guy didn't really know a whole lot about salvation. He's probably figuring out how to be saved, maybe from Roman execution, how to be whatever. Um, I don't know. I find that a little hard to believe just because of everything that's gone on. Maybe he's thinking about religious things. But you have to imagine this man's a pagan. He's a Roman jailer in Philippi, which was a military capital of the empire. And remember, there were the women down by the river. There wasn't a synagogue in Philippi. So we know there weren't a whole lot of Jewish men. Uh, so really, what was his knowledge about the God of the Bible? Probably not a whole lot. But there was things going on in town that he very well could have had positive impact on. Yeah, absolutely. There were things going on around him, maybe he heard of, whatever it may have been. Yes, sir? There evidently was no uh, question in Paul's mind what right. he yeah, absolutely. Because they gave an answer to believe Yeah, so Paul's, either way, Paul's answer is spiritual, right? And Paul's saying, look, this is what you have to do to be saved. Uh, if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you and your household, you'll be saved. 
There's also a lot of discussion on why baptism isn't mentioned in this verse right here. But again, before you're baptized, what do you have to do? You have to believe, right? Some people say, well, maybe this is a synecdoche. That may be the case. And we see that he is baptized. It says after he's instructed more, he's baptized immediately that same hour of the night. Uh, so this isn't really a place where we can say, look, baptism's not that important. Uh, but that was the starting point for this man, likely a pagan. What does he have to do? He's got to believe. All right, so Paul answered his question. Either way, he answered the question as... Uh, um, Brother Steve pointed out. I'm going to get your name here eventually. I'm sorry about that. Um, he did answer it in that spiritual way. But I think it's, from this point, I hope you're getting to the concept we're trying to link in on. Mutual trust, or at least this idea of trust flowing from the jailer to Paul and Silas, leads to him asking this question. If the jailer doesn't trust Paul and Silas, does he ask them, what must I do to be saved? If he doesn't know Paul and Silas from any average Joe in Philippi, does he ask them, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? You must put enough faith in them because they didn't believe. Yeah, right. So there's some things from Paul and Silas's conduct the jailer says, these guys warrant my trust. So I'm going to ask them this very serious question. Does that make sense? A little bit? Three people agree. That's great. I'll take it. Um, so this idea again, what if Paul and Silas immediately started preaching? Now I know what you're saying. Some miraculous things happened. Yes, I know, I know, I know. But Paul and Silas proved themselves to have this man's best interest in mind. Remember? He's about to kill himself. No, don't do that. You don't want to do that. They've proven themselves to have this man's best interest in mind. Trust is warranted. So when they have a question, what must I do to be saved? That's who they go to. Yes, ma'am? Yeah, no, very true. Absolutely, that's a good conduct. She said, if you didn't hear, uh, she said, in order to gain that trust, you have to be trustworthy. Right? So when the bonds fell, they stayed. Man was about to kill himself, they stopped him. Right, so uh, there is definitely this idea of trust, this idea of building um, a camaraderie, if you will, if that's the right word. There's a word in here that's somewhere on here. Words have just been escaping me lately. I'm sorry. Well, anyway, um, here's a question. Do you think the jailer would have been as receptive if Paul and Silas began preaching to him as soon as they were placed in the jail? No, why not? Maybe not in this case, but him seeing the, the, the bracelets fall and mm -hmm. the doors open, that added to his uh, <clears throat> belief. But who's to say? Uh, he may have responded to them if they started preaching right away. Yeah, that's true. That's true. It's hard to say either way. Chad?
Yeah. And and then they say, believe on Jesus Christ. Well, mm-hmm. he's a pagan. Who, right. So tell me about him. And so they do the very next verse. And so then they begin yeah. to tell him who he is. <laughs> right. Absolutely. That's a great point. I think UCF may have curbed that. We went up to UCF last weekend, the weekend before this past weekend, and there was a guy there preaching, but he was on the corner outside of UCF. And I think they told him, like, you can't do that here anymore. So he's just, I don't know, I thought it's the same guy, I look pretty young, but he's on the corner right as you're turning in now. And no offense, in a good way. Um, uh, but yeah, no, but that's a great point, you know. And some of that is cultural. I know uh, you, we do street preaching in Ghana, right? And it works and it's effective. Uh, so some of that depends, does See, depend. But I think the reason why it works in Ghana, right, is because they, they see someone who's traveled a long distance, were perceived to bring knowledge that they don't have, so there's value, so they want to hear right. what we have to say. So they'll stop and they'll listen and they'll gather by the hundreds or right. thousands, right, to, to come and hear what this people culturally bring me some new information, right. bring me some truth. I want to hear, and they and they they have a desire to, to know that truth. Whereas right. I think that was probably indicative of our country eighty years ago. Yeah. But it, it's and very much their culture in many respects are, is about you know, a generation or two behind ours right. and many of the things that they're adapting, you know, that right. they're adopting and, and whatnot. Yeah. And, For sure, that's a good point. Um, so this idea of being trustworthy, then being trusted, and then credibility. That's the word I was looking for. Thank you. I think you said that. Uh, once you have some credibility, it's a lot easier to have these kinds of conversations and them not being awkward and actually get a response from it. Um, and he gives an example in the book about a friend. It was his best friend through high school. He moved away from home, went back to home, and saw him in the grocery store. And the friend was like, you know, what, did, what are you up to? This is before Facebook and stuff. What do you do now? And he told him, I'm a preacher. And his friend was like, there's no way you're a preacher. Like, just would not believe him. And he was like, no, it's true, yada, yada, yada. And he said, you should come to church and hear me preach sometime. And he said, no, I don't think I want to do that. And he said, come on, we both know you're a heathen and you need it. And you might hear that and think, whoa, okay. Um, like, if you told a stranger that, there's no way they would be receptive. But because of their rapport and their friendship, that was something the guy actually thought was funny and he ended up coming to church. But really the point is not to do that. The point is friendship is the only thing that made that possible, right? That's the only way that could have been possible. Uh, so friendship, rapport, credibility allows us a certain frankness and honesty that sometimes we don't have when we're speaking with strangers or with people with whom we have no kind of credibility or relationship. Um, One-on-one. One-on-one. I know a couple people had their hands up real quick. If you can say your comments real quick. Did you have one? Back home for the last three years, spring and summer, campus, Mm. over 3,000 homes. Wow. Wow. kind of the way, the way things are going. And, um, but those five or six still are pretty precious, but... Let's see, never again do 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, right. That seems to be the way things are going. Um, and still, like I said, I don't think those things are totally um, worthless, but I think it's good to have a combo. All right, so look at verses 32 through 34. Um, so he tells them what he needs to do. Believe in the Lord Jesus. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. So they're back at the jailer's house now. And they preach to him more. He needs to know more. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. Some people say this is indicative of repentance. Maybe he's the person who beat them. Now he's washing their wounds. Either way, they're there by that water. And look at what happens. Same hour of the night. And he was baptized at once. He and all of his family. Okay, so again, you see the immediacy um, placed on the baptism there because that's the point at which we are saved. But see what happens. Because of the conduct of Paul and Silas, the jailer is receptive. He's able to hear more of the word of the Lord. And of course, him and his family obey the gospel. And notice in verse 34, I love this. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. So it doesn't stop there. It's not like they're like, all right, man, see you later. Uh, they go back to his house. They have this time of rejoicing, this time of fellowship. This was a big deal to Paul and Silas. This was a big deal to this man and his family. And we're, when we're able to share the good news with people, that's what happens. Rejoicing should be the result of that. Uh, but you see, just this man understands the gravity of what just happened. And he's happy because of it. Okay, real quick, we're going to talk about... Um, and this is an exercise that we're not necessarily going to review next week because it's personal, but we will talk about the thing from last week, next week, if that follows. Um, capitalize on receptivity. Sorry, that's the last point there. He tells them more of the word of the Lord. He's baptized. They rejoice. Okay, so for this week, um, going into this premise, our conduct around non-believers is vital. We talked about this. We need to prove ourselves to be trustworthy people. We need to prove ourselves to be good friends. We need to act like Christ. Uh, examine yourself and notice your positive and negative attributes around non-believers. Um, and maybe there's something, maybe there's a bad habit you've got, or maybe there's, uh, maybe you have a short temper and sometimes you snap on people at work. Maybe there's something that you think, okay, you know what? It'd be hard for me to share the gospel with this person at this point because of something that I've done. And it's not to make ourselves feel guilty, it's to hopefully bring about some repentance and to be able to mend some of those relationships if they've fallen. And then pray about things to improve. Think about if there's some things to improve. Uh, and don't beat yourself up. Think about some things you do that are good. And think about, you know what? Yeah, I'm nice to that person. Not that we're boasting or making ourselves try to justify ourselves. But just something to think about. There's something in our life that could hamper us having those kinds of conversations. Uh, let's try to knock that off. Pray about that. Repent and uh, be more effective. All right, that's all we've got. I want to thank you for listening. Thanks for being here, and, um, and we'll move on.